0: So, um, I I have been uh, following Ed for the last 20 years, um, and I just want to make sure that you guys understand that a lot of what I'm going to talk about today, a lot about what we experience um, as a church, uh, is because I get to stand on his shoulders. A lot of the things that Ed led and the way that he led and the way that um, he just served um, me and us um, is continuing on to today. So a year's worth of coffee and two KU tickets isn't enough, but it's, it's a start. So, and the fact that he's still at this church listening to a, and, and, and serving underneath a, a punk like me uh, tells you a lot about his character um, and, and the love that he has for, for you guys and for us as a church. But um, he is one of the one another's in my life. Um, you guys are some of the one another's in my life. We're one another's, right? And you have some other one another's outside. Of of this place, you have co-workers, you have neighbors, you have friends, you have a boss, you have an employee or employees, you have kids, you have stepkids, you have adoptive kids, you have parents, you have grandparents, you have adoptive parents, you have stepparents. There's all these one another's, and then there's the, you know, the the barista at Starbucks that Ed sees every single morning, right? Um, There's the flight attendant on your flight. There's the people on the other side of your social media feeds. We all have one another's. We all have one another's. And that's what this series is about because um, it's not evidently going so well all the time. Right? Right? Like, evidently, we need a little help when you just, just in this one vein, the amount of money we collectively spend on parenting resources and marriage resources and workplace secret, you know, workplace culture secrets and management and um, conflict resolution training, all of that stuff, the amount of money and time and energy we spend on that stuff is staggering. But it all comes back to this idea of one anothering one another. And on top of all of that, like this doesn't surprise you, but one anothering is actually supposed to be a specialty of the church. This is one of the things that um, the church is uniquely positioned and gifted to bless the culture and, and to bless our world in a way that no other organization can. No other organization is positioned or blessed in such a way to one another really, really well. This is what we're supposed to be known for, and not because I say so, but because our founder said so. The one who started the church said so. We look at this often. Let's look at it again. Here it is, John 13, 34. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love, what? love. one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another by this by your love for one another everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another like there is no there's no wiggle room there like this is what we're supposed to be known for so what we're supposed to be famous for our love For one another, but if you've learned anything, if we've learned anything, if we can learn anything from the 2,000 years of church history, we've learned that this distinctive is easy to lose. It's easier to make the church about services or theology or um, commitments and convictions. It's it's just easier to make Christianity about that than the one anothering that we're taught. In the New Testament, it, we come to verses like John 13, 34, and we put it on a mug or we crochet it in a doily and we make it about, oh, yeah, that's just really good instead of actually applying it in our relationships. And, and let's just be honest, at least I'll be honest. You can lie as much as you want in your head and nobody will know. I don't always feel like loving you. Right? I don't always feel like serving other people. Sometimes I show up on Sunday morning and I do my job because I don't feel necessarily like serving. We we, we don't always, it feels better to be impatient and petty and selfish. It just feels better sometimes. It's hard, it's difficult to love one another sometimes. It It just is, so yeah. Sometimes the secret sauce gets lost in the mix. So we're going to just spend a few weeks reminding ourselves, refreshing ourselves, maybe building our one another muscles to what it looks like, um, to to, to one another, one another really, really well. This series is just kind of a real quick callback to some of the basics of what we're instructed to do in the New Testament and what Jesus taught us to do. We're going to talk about three practices Three things, three one another's that if we were to start um, or resume or to accelerate doing them, I honestly believe would make our lives better, our relationships healthier, our workplaces more productive, our reputations more positive, our influence as leaders and parents deeper, our dialogue more constructive. And I believe our community or communities a better place to live. This series is really for everyone. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to do some of the things we're going to talk about. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what we're supposed to be known for. This is what were are our distinctives, our values as followers of Jesus. But like I said, hasn't always been that way. It isn't always that way. For some people, um, they make Christianity about their commitments. Make it about commitments. We've all had, you know, times in our life when we made commitments we were absolutely sure we needed to make. It was a diet, um, it was a discipline, some kind of financial decision. Maybe it was a commitment to God. Maybe it was a religious thing, a spiritual discipline that you wanted to commit to. And when it came time to following through, as my kids say, our commitment was mid. Okay, I'm trying to be cool here, right? And that just means you just didn't really do a good job with it. It was mid, right? Um, and and we, we committed to it. We did it for a week. We did it for a month. We did it for a couple months. And then we just gave up on it. And, and in most cases, not every case, but in most cases, it, it, it isn't a commitment that's necessarily going to make somebody else's life better. It's going to make my life better. It's going to make your life better. So think about that. You made a commitment that would make your life better and then broke that commitment to yourself. What is that? What, what is that? Why in the world would you break a commitment to yourself, for yourself, about to benefit yourself? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with us, right? Or, or we make Christianity about convictions. Right? We're making about convictions. A time where, where we said, "I This is 100% wrong. I know this is wrong. No husband should ever, no wife should ever, no teenager should ever, no Jesus follower should ever do this. We were absolutely sure something was wrong. And we did it anyway. We do it anyway. Would, would you like to turn to the person next to you and share one of those moments? No. No, that's, like, that's not the kind of stuff we want to share. Or talk about, especially publicly. Somewhere along the way, and I don't know that anybody taught us this explicitly or not, but somewhere along the way, we've, we've made Christianity about commitments and convictions. And if those were enough, none of us would have any bad habits. All right? Like none of us would ever give in to temptation. All our, our, our vices would be conquered. We'd perfectly one another one another. So something's, something's missing. Maybe, maybe the commitments need to be stronger. Maybe the convictions need to be d- deeper. But maybe there's another part that we need to add into the mix. Maybe we're trying to, to stand up or prop up a two-legged stool that's missing one of his legs. Maybe we need to add a third leg. So if you have a Bible or a mobile device, I'd love for you to find Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. I want you to follow along with me in this today. Um, This is is not going to be brand new to all of you. Some of you, this is a refresher. You've heard this before. And while you're finding it, let me kind of draw this out a little bit more. And maybe you're the exception. There's always an exception to the rule. But I don't think anybody wakes up one day and just decides to get rid of all their commitments and convictions. I don't think anybody wakes up on a random Tuesday and says, You know what? All those commitments and convictions that have guided my life up to this point, I'm done with those. I don't think anybody does that, but there are plenty of people that have found themselves behaving differently over time, which leads to believing differently over time. Another way to say that is we misbehave before we misbelieve. We misbehave before we mis- We act contrary to what we believe, and in turn, in turn it changes our beliefs. So, so when we misbehave over and over and over, one of two things happens. Number one, we either get so loaded up with guilt that we feel hopeless and we don't try anymore. Or number two, we decide, you know what? I'll get rid of my guilt by simply adjusting my beliefs. I'll just change my commitments and my convictions. So for example, if you think lying is wrong and you lie, you feel guilty. You feel like you've not followed through on your commitments and your convictions. But if you decide in this circumstance in this season, you know, with this person, in this relationship, well, in my industry, well, with this boss, lying isn't wrong here. If you make that decision, the guilt suddenly goes away. It's like a magic eraser. The guilt just disappears because I don't think that's wrong anymore. I, I, my convictions have changed, and, and every, um, every adult knows you can change your beliefs, but that doesn't change the consequences of misbelieving. Doesn't change the outcomes of misbehaving. The author of Hebrews, and we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but the author of Hebrews takes on this very idea in chapter three. Look what, look what they say. Chapter three, starting in verse 12. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, pause right here, just point this out, he's talking to a group. Okay, okay. The, the verb tense, the language, it all points to the fact that he's talking to a group of one another's. The author wants an entire group, you could say an entire congregation, to consider what he has to say. This isn't just individuals. That's important. See to it. Brothers and sisters, that none of you, plural, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So as you live with one another... as you you figure out how to love one another, you're not just off by yourself, I want you to be careful that no one has a sinful, that's how they act. It's misbehaving. Unbelieving, that's how they believe. It's what they think or they no longer believe. Sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. I want you to look out for one another, brothers and sisters, and make sure that nobody amongst you does that. And that turn Turns away from the living God, that implies a process. It's not, you know, I woke up one day and decided to turn away from God. It's more like, it's almost like this multi shelved waterfall that just cascades down. It involves a process. And the implication of this is pretty staggering. The implication is no matter how deep your commitments and how strong your convictions, no matter how long you've been following Jesus or how short of a time you've been following Jesus. The implication is everyone has the potential to drift away from the living God and end up with a sinful, unbelieving heart. We all have that potential to misbehave ourselves into misbelieving. And and if I would have started today by saying, you know, today's message is, I don't want any of you to turn away from the living God. I want all of you to remain faithful to love Jesus, to love your neighbor. And today I'm going to tell you how to do that. You wouldn't be surprised one bit. In fact, some of you would expect me to make two points. Number one, you need to make some strong commitments. Right? And number two, you need to read your Bible. You need to figure out what's right and wrong according to God's word. And you need to develop some, some strong convictions around that. Commitments and convictions, and there is certainly truth to that. Commitments and convictions are a part of the Christian faith. But what I've learned, what you've learned, what I've seen, what I believe the Bible points to over and over again, this is why I think there's 61 another's in the New Testament. The chances of you following through on those commitments and convictions all by yourself for the rest of your life, minimal, It's minimal, as beneficial and biblical as commitments and convictions are. They're not enough to get us to the finish line. They're not enough. So listen to what this very wise first century author tells this group to do so they get to the finish line. Here it is, verse 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. He doesn't call them to greater commitment or deeper conviction. He says... Here, you want to make sure you don't drift away from the living God? You want to make sure that doesn't happen to y'all? You want to make it to the finish line? You want your faith to be real and make an impact in your life? Here's what I want you to do. Encourage one another daily. That's it? That's it? Well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. I know, it sounds relational. The little Greek word encourage. It's not the kind of encourage like, hey, great job, you look good in that outfit. Or you know you did a good job on the presentation the other day. It's bigger than that. It's broader than that. It's so much more intimate than that. It means to urge, to urge. It's like some of you you got an urge for the golden corral right now, and you're ready. You're ready for me to say amen, right? It's to exhort. It means to come alongside. It means to spur into action. It implies relationship. It assumes a connection between people that are doing life together to the point that if one were to drift away, the other person would notice. And they would say, hey, I heard you were starting to do this and that and all that other kind of stuff. Can we talk about that? I know I know, it's none of my business, but I, I, I've heard you say that you believe these different things. You believe this and you believe that, but your actions don't seem to line up with what you say you believe. Can we just talk about that? it implies a closeness of relationship to where you can urge them, you can exhort them, you can come alongside, you can spur into action. Hey, haven't seen you and your family for a while. Why don't you come sit with me? That, it's, it's, it's so much more intimate. It's so much more relational than, hey, great job. And he says, he's pointing out, the author's pointing out something that, that, that deep commitments and deep connections aren't enough. We need some really good connections. Commitments and convictions are great, but we need some connections. There's a one another component to our faith that's just as necessary as commitments and convictions. And, and he says they should do it daily. Now, different commentators, different theologians say different things. Some say he means often. Some say he means no. It literally means every day. If you look at the first century audience and and how they lived their life, it means every day. But you know what? And I've said this before. I'll say it again. Those of you who are familiar with AA or NA, you have an idea of what he means when he says daily. He means daily. AA figured this out a long time ago. The, the, The power of those environments is I'm committed to breaking this habit because I have a conviction that needs to be broken, but I know those two aren't enough. So I've tried to do it on my own, I realized I can't, so I'm gonna invite a group of people into my life to walk with me, to hold me accountable through this, and they have full authority in my life to keep me accountable to my commitments and my convictions. I came up with a commitment. I decided on the conviction, but I need the connections in that group to help me. And if I, if I do break this habit, I'm gonna keep doing it over and over and over because I know the only way to maintain my sobriety slash freedom is by maintaining my commitments based on my convictions connected with the people who will speak truth into my life. There are a lot of organizations that leverage this, but for some reason when it comes to the church, especially in America, we've made it about this. It's just it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and my commitments and my convictions, and it's not anybody else's business. But there are over <laughs> there are about 60 one another sprinkled all throughout the New Testament, where we're taught, no, it's it's other people's business. Because the church, the y'all, the brothers and sisters are supposed to be famous for one anothering one another. And you can't do that off on your own. And this is good news. This is good news. Because the problem isn't necessarily your commitment. It might be. The, the, the problem isn't necessarily your conviction. It might be. The problem might be that you're just not connected. So watch how, watch how he finishes this, or she. But encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today. Then he gives us what's called a purpose or result statement. Here's why he wants us to encourage one another daily. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Ooh, right? So, like, what does that mean? That's just another way of saying something that you've experienced multiple times, and let me explain it like this Have you ever seen someone who's normally a really smart person make a really dumb decision? Yes, you have. Financially, relationally, in their work, their business. It, it, it usually happens in the romantic life, right? So they tell you what they're going to do. They rush into the room and they tell you, I met somebody and they got this big, groofy grin on their face and they're telling you about it. It's going to be awesome. And, and you hear them talking and you know them well enough to know, okay, they're not going to hear me right now. So I'm just going to smile and I'm going to nod. But on the inside, I'm thinking, this is dumb, Right? Like, you have crystal clear insight into their stupidity. And the reason you see really smart people make really dumb decisions is because they're deceived. They're deceived by their own heart. They're deceived by sin. They're deceived by Satan. Label it however you want. But they were deceived. And come on. It's easy to talk about them, but just like you have crystal clear insight into other people's deception, there are people in your life who have crystal clear insight into your deception. The question is, do they have access to you? Is there a regular often pattern where you're putting yourself in an environment where they have access to you? Have you given any one another's in your life permission to come to you and to say, hey, when you came in the other day and you started talking about that thing you're really excited about, I, didn't, I don't want to say anything because you were so excited, but I just got to say, I'm concerned. I love you. I don't want to rain on your parade, but can we talk about this? Have you given anybody permission to say things like that to you? Because somebody in your life, somebody around you has crystal clear insight into your decision making, and they're not wrapped up emotionally in it like you are. The question is, do they have access to you? Have you given anybody permission to encourage you daily? The way that the writer of Hebrews is saying. There, 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 There are way too many, one another's, for us to think it's just a matter of me and God figuring it out. I think we got to put ourselves in environments where other people who share our commitments and share our convictions can encourage us not to drift. And the New Testament teaches over and over and over, that's as spiritual as praying. It's as spiritual as saying, God, please show me. Holy Spirit, please direct me and guide me. And he's like, I'm trying to. Would you please listen to that godly, wise person in your life? Right? It's as spiritual as opening up your Bible and reading it and studying. It's just as spiritual to invite some one another's into your life to encourage you so you don't drift and you're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So here's the bottom line and then I'll wrap this up. It's not enough to have strong commitments and deep convictions. You got to have some strong, deep connections. It takes all three and, and I would make the case that the third component is just as spiritual as the first two. So this is, this is why, as a church, and you've heard it for, for the last 30 minutes, this is why we put such an emphasis on groups. We don't have the perfect groups culture. We're still learning. We're still tweaking. We're still adjusting. But it's one of the most important things we do as a church. We love getting together on Sunday morning. We love the singing. We love the big group togetherness. We love the big group togetherness that the kids have, that the teens have. We love that. But all of those environments are simply, they're really about inspiring and motivating you to make commitments and convictions. We can't do, we can't accomplish the connection piece that we need to sitting in rows. And please hear me, we're not trying to. Can you make connections with people here? Yes. Absolutely. Can you make connections in the lobby? Yes. Can you make connections with people online? Yes. Absolutely you can. But that's not the goal of our worship environments. The best way for us to establish those strong, deep connections is to continually encourage you, to exhort you, to move from sitting in rows to sitting in circles, where you move from simply sitting in a row, listening to me talk, to sitting in a circle of people in a living room or around a dining room table or at a coffee shop, where you're meeting with people on a regular basis who who share your commitments and convictions and can do life with you to the point where they speak into your life, where we want you to have people in your life. I wanna have people in my life that can say, whoa, 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 Tim, You're usually pretty smart. That's really dumb. Can we talk about that? Can I challenge you on that? Or where have you been? Or what are you thinking? Or do you know where that leads? And yes, that third leg takes some intentionality on our part, and it takes some intentionality on your part but we're committed to moving everybody who calls Grace Point their home from rows to circles, from big group settings to small group settings. And if you're not in a group, we want you to get in one. Not because we get something from this. I'm telling you, I don't get paid by the small group. Okay? There is no financial benefit. We don't take an offering during small group. If your small group leader's taking an offering, you should let us know because that's not supposed to be happening. Okay? (laughs) Okay? There there is nothing that we benefit from this financially. It actually costs us money to do this and energy and time. But we believe it's a critical component to how God works in your life. And it's a critical component to how God keeps things from happening in your life. And we want you to be in that kind of environment. So... Twice a year, we try to make it as easy as possible to get into a group. We're entering into one of those right now. Over the next few weeks, you're gonna have an opportunity to check out and check in to one of the groups that we have available. And listen, I wanna talk real quick to those of you who are introverted. Speaking as a fellow introvert, okay? Ladies, some of you are going to have to drag your husband to a group, okay? And, And fellas, Some of you, you're going to have to drag your wife who doesn't want any more friends because she has her sister and that's all she needs, right? (laughs) We get that. I get that. I totally understand. But here's the deal. We think you need some people outside your family who know you and who can speak into your life and what's going on in your life. It's a critical piece of growing in your relationship with Jesus. It's not an add-on. We think it's a critical component. So if you're not in a group, I want you to take a step. I want you to sign up for one, and I want you to give it a shot, okay? And here's your off-ramp. We, we do groups in semesters. So if you try one out, try one out this fall. You really don't have to try it for about three months or so. And at the end of that three months, you don't like it, you can break up with that group, and you can date another one, Okay? You've had a bad haircut before, you didn't stop getting haircuts, okay? If you have a bad group experience before, you can try another one if it doesn't work out the first time. But if you're not in a group, come on, why not? Take a step, try one out, okay? If, if you're already in a group and you've taken the summer off, which most of our groups do, it's time to get going again. If you haven't already heard from your leader, you will shortly, that's mainly from my group, you just heard from your leader, okay? If if we're going to be famous for something, if we're going to be famous for something, let's be famous for loving one another. And let's regularly put ourselves in a place where we can practice that. Where we practice encouraging one another. Where we practice, we're going to talk about next week, living in harmony with one another. What does it look like? I want to encourage you to get connected in a group to the point that you don't drift into a sinful, unbelieving heart and turn away from the living God. What a tragedy (laughs) when you can get into an environment where people know you, where you know people, and you can be encouraged daily. Get connected. Any questions? Good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my prayer is very simple, that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do with what you have just said to us and the courage to walk out these doors and to do. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.